that was pretty dramatic. But the idea behind this whole series is that, hey, what are some things that we say, that's enough. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want to get rid of this in my life. I'm going to ask the Lord for help with this. I'm going to see what the Bible has to say about it. And I'm going to declare war on some of these things and be done with them. Well, we've made a list of some things. You saw them on the screen there. But the first one we're going to start with is procrastination. So inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline. If you're watching us online, you can go to centeringlives.com and download it there as well. But uh, the idea behind all this is we want to get rid of procrastination in our lives. Uh, Because point one on your outline reminds us that procrastination is bad. I mean, we make a lot of jokes about it because we all struggle with it. We all do, and you're going to be amazed as we go through this outline how many scriptures apply here when we talk about this topic of procrastination. Because we all know there's things we need to do. I mean, yeah, we really need to get a will made. Yeah, there's a gallon of paint in the garage, and I put it there two months ago, and I still haven't gotten over there. I've got to get the closets organized. I mean, I can keep going. And we've all got stuff that we need to do. We haven't gotten around to it yet. And we kind of joke about it, but in the scripture, it's not a joke. Don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. I mean, Solomon was wise, and he was right. Because the big deal about why it's so bad is this, is God has plans for you and me. He has a purpose for each one of us. He has opportunities that he is setting in front of us. He will set in front of us this week, maybe even this day. And if I'm going to seize those opportunities, then I need to be ready. I can't have a backlog of things that are distracting me. I've got to be ready to go. That's why in James 4.17 it says, Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Could we read that verse out loud, please? Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Man, this is where we are. There are things we know we need to do, but we just haven't gotten around to them yet. And today, I want to talk with you about some reasons why the Bible makes it clear those happen, as well as some solutions for it. And so today, I want us to declare war on procrastination so we won't miss out on a thing that God has in store for us. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, you are such a wonderful God. You created us. And since before the world began, the scripture says you have a, you've planned purposes for us and you have things set in motion for us to accomplish right now. God, I thank you that through Christ we are more than conquerors. And I thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities that are coming our way. And so, Lord, I don't want to miss a thing that you have in store for us. I don't want to miss anything you have in store for me. And so, Lord, would you give me victory over procrastination? And would you speak to me today? If that's a desire of your heart, then just silently where you are, would you just pray that right now and say, Lord, I want to declare war on procrastination. I don't want to miss out on anything. Father, we pray these things together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here are five common reasons that we procrastinate. First of all, and see if any of these you can relate to any of them. First of all, would be overload. And by that, I mean I put too many things in my life. I refuse to let anything go because I want to keep all my options open. A verse that would perfectly describe this is Job 3.26 out of the God's Words translation. I have no peace. I have no quiet. I have no rest. And trouble just keeps coming. That sounds like Thursday. Okay. 
Okay, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was Thursday. Oh, my goodness. And now, thanks to cell phones, people can reach us at any hour of the day. And I don't know, there was a survey that came out not long ago. 87% of us check our cell phones during the work week sometime between noon and 5 a.m. I mean, that's overload. If I'm looking at a work project at 2.30 a.m., I'm probably not going back to sleep. And if I am, I'm not sleeping well. Well, you can understand how that would contribute to procrastination. If I'm exhausted all the time, and if I'm overloaded because I've got... Uh, my kids all have activities. I've got activities. I've got all these things on the calendar. When am I going to get any of it done? And so I'll do it tomorrow. I'm just too tired. It's too hectic. I can't get to it. I can't get to it. And so instead of choosing priorities, we just try to keep everything. And in the margin, if you'd write the word priorities. Priorities. That's what we're asking God for. But we're overloaded. Last year, I remember during the pandemic, when everything shut down, we couldn't do anything for two weeks, I talked to a guy, and he said, I hate to say this, but I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks where everything was shut down. He said, it was the first time we ever had two weeks in a row that we had a family dinner together with all of us around the table. Schedule's gotten too hectic. Secondly, we can procrastinate because of perfectionism. Everything needs to be perfect before we begin, or everything needs to be perfect before we move on to something else. Hmm. Ecclesiastes 11, Solomon again, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. And if you never plant, you never harvest, you're not going to get a big crop. And that's the excuse we use all the time. Well, I'd get started, but this isn't quite right yet. Well, I'd hand this off, but it's not quite right. What are we going to do? Well, somewhere along the line, and we'll talk about this some more as we go through some solutions here, we're going to have to realize that, hey, if everything has to be perfect, we're never going to get things done. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. But we have to keep moving. Thirdly, fear keeps us from doing the things we need to do. I can't do this. I'm going to fail, so I'm not even going to try. Oh, we let this speak to us all the time. That's why we didn't sign up for grad school. Well, that's why we didn't take that exercise class, even though, you know, I really want to get in shape, but I don't think I can keep up with everybody, all that type of stuff. I can't do it. I'm going to fail. The classic example in Scripture is from Numbers 13. The Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years. God rescued them through a series of miraculous plagues. The entire Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea. They saw God, they heard God speak to them when he gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. It's been a couple of years. They get to the edge of the promised land. They've been eating manna that God has provided miraculously for them every single day. It appears on the ground every morning. They have uh, been guided by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They get to the promised land, and Moses sends out spies to scout it out to see if it really is promised, as good as God has promised them. And here's what happened. We entered the land you sent us to explore. These are the spies uh, speaking to Moses when they come back. And it's indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. I mean, Anak was a guy like Goliath, just a freakishly huge man. And we can't go up against them. 
they are stronger than we are. And the Bible tells us, sadly, that after 400 years in slavery, and they'd always been longing to be free, they finally get to the edge of the promised land, everything's going their way, and they stop, and they won't go in, not because God hasn't been faithful, not because the promises aren't true, but because they're afraid. Oh, that is a trick of the devil that can work on us. And so we don't do it. And we don't even try. Fourthly, we may be stopped in our tracks by pride. I'm too important to do that. I am. 850 years before uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, um, there was constant conflict between Israel, uh, the kingdom of Israel, and the Arameans up to, the north, to their northeast. They would have battles. And one of the war heroes among the Arameans was a man named Naaman. And he developed a case of leprosy, an incurable skin disease. And so the king of Aram uh, valued this guy's contributions to his army so much. I mean, he was his chief of staff when it came to the military. And so he sent him with a gift, a huge gift, or a whole load of gifts, down to Israel because he'd heard there was a prophet there who could, through whom God did miracles. And so he sent him to the king of Israel and said, hey, here is my captain of my army here, the guy in charge of my army, and I want you to heal him. Well, the king of Israel tore his robes and says, who does this man think I am? I can't heal people. But God had told the Old Testament prophet Elisha that this man was coming, and so he sent a message to the king and said, send him to me. Here's what happened. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to meet Naaman with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored, and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he'd certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of his Lord God and heal me. So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him. They said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he simply says, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. You might go, well, I don't know that pride keeps me from doing something I need to do. Well, let me give you an example that if we haven't had it ourselves, we know somebody else. Two people have been in conflict. They know they need to talk, and you talk to them, well, why don't you go apologize, or why don't you go talk? I'm not the one who goes first. She has to apologize to me. That's the only way this is going to get done because I am above all this. It got just as quiet in here now as it did at 8 o'clock. That's amazing. <laughs> but you understand how this could happen. I'm not doing that. I know it needs to be done, but not me. Somebody else can do that. And that's pride. Laziness. Let me give you a fifth example. And there are many more in Scripture. I just, I just want you, I hope you're encouraged by this too. Uh, somebody at the 8 o'clock said, man, I couldn't believe how many Scriptures all lined up with this. And I go, well, yeah, that always should encourage us. This is something we all need to work on. It's something God will show us how to deal with too. If there's this many Scriptures, then God wants us to study this. This is a big, this is a big issue. 
But laziness is just this. I just don't want to do it. I'm not afraid. I'm not prideful. I just don't want to do it. I mean, listen to this. This is Proverbs 24. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense, and I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds. Its walls were broken down. And then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. Little extra sleep, little more slumber, little folding of the hands to rest, and then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. That's the snooze bar. I wanted to go to 8 o'clock. I guess I'll go to 9.30. Guess I'm going to 11. I think I'll watch online. (laughs) I mean, that works pretty well. I mean, that's where we live. Sometimes we have a four-hour opportunity, say on a Sunday afternoon, and if we just would get our calendar ready and if we just do a few things, man, Monday and Tuesday would go so smoothly, and then we blow right through that. And everything's hectic. Remember, the reason it's a sin is because God has things for you to do. This week, he has people for you to meet and encourage. He has other people for you to meet who are going to encourage you. He wants you to be fully present in that moment. He wants me to be fully present right there. And if I've got all this junk turning in the back of my head or I'm running around hectic or I haven't slept because now I'm burning the candle at both ends trying to get this all done, I'm going to miss it. God doesn't want us to live frantic lives. And that's what makes procrastination such a problem. And it always compounds because the more you procrastinate, the larger the load gets, and then the fear grows bigger, and then we really feel like we can't do it. And you see how the devil just loves to trick us and then keep us in that crazy cycle. Well, the good news is, not only does the Bible describe reasons for this, it gives us at least six ways we can declare war on this. So I hope these will help you too. First of all, we can stop making excuses. We can stop making excuses. Moses was called by God from a bush that was burning. God spoke to him and called him to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. He was the one who led them to the promised land. But Moses didn't want to go. He was 80 years old, thought he was past his prime, didn't think he'd get it done. Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. You know, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? It's not I. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I'll be with you as you speak. I'll instruct you in what to say. I mean, this is one of those things, again, if the Lord is, is leading us to do something and he's prepared something from eternity past, then he'll instruct us and he will be with us. This is part of God's grace. Not only does he save us, but he works within us and he guides us. If all this is good news to you today, would you say amen? Amen. Moses. Well, Lord, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, Moses, I'm going with you. I'm not very good at speaking. Well, I made your mouth. And it's the same way with you and me. Oh, we don't need to make excuses. If I'm going to declare war, I'm going to stop making excuses. Could we say that together, please? I'm going to stop making excuses. No more. 
I don't know what they are for you. I've got a couple of my favorites. My wife will tell you if you ask her. Okay. Secondly, we can say no to at least one negative or positive distraction today. Remember, there is a devil, the enemy of our souls, who would love to get us off track on whatever God has planned for us today. And so it could be a positive or a negative distraction. A negative distraction would just be a time waster. A positive distraction is something that's good, but it's not the best. And we got to say no to even the good things. Did it ever happen in the life of Jesus? Sure did. One night he was healing people till late in the night, and everybody went to bed, but apparently all the people he'd healed went and got friends and brought them back the next morning. This is from Mark 1. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon, that's Peter, and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. But Jesus replied, well, we must go on to other towns as well, and I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. Jesus, it's urgent. All these people want you to come back where you were. And Jesus said, yeah, I know, but that's not why I came. Jesus said no to urgent things that would pull him off track of what his father wanted him to do. And how did he know exactly what the father wanted him to do? Well, notice what he was doing. Well, it was still early in the morning. He got up to go pray. I mean, he always sought God's direction, his father's direction. And that kept him focused on his true mission. And he said no to things that would divert him, even if they were good things. If you and I are going to seize and be fully present in the opportunities that God has for us, well, we certainly need to say no to time wasters, but sometimes we even need to be able to say no to good things. I can't do everything. Could we say that together? I can't do everything. I can't. Neither can you. So what if we spent time with God each day and asked him what we should do and then just did that? That'd be a way to declare war and procrastination. Thirdly, we can take a few small steps today. A few small steps. This is now 500 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Zechariah has been sent to encourage people who have gone back to Israel. They've been in, um, the Lord sent them into exile for 70 years. The Babylonians had come in and destroyed Jerusalem, knocked down the temple, burned the whole place, carried everybody off for 70 years. After 70 years, the Lord let them return. And Zechariah, along with some others, uh, went back to rebuild the temple. And they started rebuilding the temple. And there were some very old people there who had been small children uh, when they were carried off into exile. And they remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. And it says they just really discouraged seeing that they were rebuilding something much smaller and not nearly as nice. And here's what Zechariah reminded them of. Don't despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Man, how wonderful is that? That should encourage all of us if we can take 15 minutes today and work on a project and just take a small bite out of it. A lot of times just getting the ball rolling helps us 
start to achieve something we never thought possible. In fact, on the back of your outline, there's a little thought for reflection at the back of the page, the bottom of the page. There are two traps of procrastination that are easy to fall into. The first trap is overestimating what we can do in the short term. So when things get tough, we get discouraged and we quit. The second trap is underestimating what we can do in the long term. So when projects look big or complicated, we never get started because we're not willing to just take a baby step. The Lord loves it when we begin on the things he wants us to do. Even if we just take a small step, do not despise these small beginnings. Could we go back to that scripture? Could we read this one out loud, please? Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I mean, if he's been challenging you to get in shape, you got half the year left. I mean, that's why we're tackling this now. The Lord rejoices for the workouts to begin. The Lord rejoices for that paper to be written, for the first paragraph to be written. Don't despise small beginnings. Best way to overcome, one of the best ways to overcome procrastination is take small steps. Fourthly, we can establish meaningful routines. Meaningful routines. Teach us to number our days so we can gain a heart of wisdom. Moses prayed that. It's a smart prayer. How do I organize my time? Well, routines are extremely helpful. What are we talking about? Regular bedtimes, wake-up times, regular meal times, regular work-study times, regular exercise, workout sessions, and daily devotions. Back to what Jesus did, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I have a regular routine on things, Oh, it allows me to focus. And in the margin, if you just write the word focus, that's what routines do. They allow you to focus. I mean, if I'm driving to an office, on my way there, I have time to get ready for the first meeting or to think about my day. When I'm at the office, I can focus on work. When I'm at lunch, I can go meet someone and have a conversation that I want to have. At the end of the day, when I'm driving home, I can detox from the day so I can be fully present at home with my family if I use my time well. Well, some of us discovered last year during the pandemic, we were working from home, that we threw all that out the window and everything went haywire. Because now everything's all one big stew. And to set up regular routines helps so much because now I can focus. This is the time with family. This is time for work. This is time for sleep. This is when I eat. And then I can get things done. And so some of us need to pray for that. Hey, what are some routines I can establish already this week? Fifthly, we can get help, accountability from a friend. Let the godly strike me. It'll be a kindness. If they correct me, it's soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. I talked to a person recently, just been working out, and they were getting in shape, and I said, how's it going? They said, it's great. And, and I go, well, man, it looks like you've gotten in a lot better shape lately. And they said, yeah, I got a personal trainer. And I go, well, do you like him? They go, no, I hate him. That's why I'm in such good shape. <laughs> He's constantly pushing me. I said, man, but that's what's so important about it. And it's true. Look at this. Let the godly strike me. It'll be a kindness if they correct me. It's soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. 
then we can get some things going. We don't have to procrastinate anymore. I've been meeting with a friend of mine, Alan Bailey, for a number of years now. Every Friday morning at 7 a.m., we have a series of questions that we hold each other accountable to about our time and our money and our family and relationship with the Lord, all those things. And there are times when I know that I have prayed with Alan about things for the last couple of weeks, and I know he's going to ask me whether I've started on that. And so I will go work on that on Thursday night because I'm not about to let that joker confront me on Friday morning. <laughs> and he's here right now, and he knows exactly what I'm talking about, okay? But it's true. It helps so much sometimes to have somebody who can come to you as a Christian brother or sister and say, I love you, and I'm going to push you. It's a kindness. You can do better than this. Sixthly, you and I can ask God to help us face our fears. Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can we say that together? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Where does the fear come from? I don't know. The devil can play tricks with us. We can be terrified. Oh, this is going to go so horribly. And then we walk in, it wasn't near as bad as we thought. And the question I always have to ask myself, if I'm living in fear about something, well, that can't be from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives me love and joy and peace, not fear and worry and stress. So who am I listening to? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. God cares. Remember, he's got things for you and me to do. Fear is going to keep us from doing those. Fear is not from the Holy Spirit. Anxiety is not from the Holy Spirit. So if I'm living this way, it doesn't mean we don't experience those things. We don't have to deal with them. But that's why we come to God and say, God, I'm going to give you my anxieties. I mean, this is what Jesus did. We see that even in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. And he's saying, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, then let it pass. But not my will, but yours be done. I mean, he laid all his burdens on the Lord. He modeled this perfectly for us. That's why one of those routines has to be, God, I'm going to spend time with you each day. I'm not only going to get your direction, I'm going to throw all my fears because I'm going to face fears. I'm going to have to choose good from bad and better from best. And I'm making those decisions now, and I'm not doing a good job on my own. And so we come to God and say, God, I just can't do this. And then listen to this wonderful verse. You may never have heard Isaiah 41, 13 before. For I am the Lord your God who will hold your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I'll help you. Some of you have heard me share this before. But when I was a kid growing up on a farm in Kansas, we had a barn where we took care of cattle. In the back of the barn, we stored a lot of hay and other things. And whoever wired that barn, it was a terrible electrician because the light switch for the back part of the barn was on the back wall. And after you turned it off, that place was pitch black and you had to walk all the way through it. And when I was a kid, I was certain there were goblins and monsters that would eat me long before I got to the front door. 
And I remember one night, my dad and I had been stacking some hay and doing some other things. And he said, John, go turn off the light back there. And I took a step and I stopped and I didn't move. And my dad's watching me, he goes, what are you doing? And he goes, are you scared? And I went, yes, sir. <laughs> he goes, come on, I'll go with you. So we walk back there. He turns off the light, grabs my hand, and we walk out. And I walked out, and I was bad and bold the whole way out. Because <laughs> my dad was with me. My dad was with me. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. That's not from him. I'm the Lord, your God, who takes, you, takes hold of your right hand and says to you, don't fear. I'll help you. So today, um, I want us just to spend the last few minutes of our time together in prayer. On the back side of your outline, you'll find some questions. This is a different kind of prayer because what I want you to do is just listen as I read these questions and I want us to ask God to speak to us as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and the reason procrastination is such a problem for us is because you have things in store for us. You have blessings in store for us. You have opportunities for us to tell people about you today, tomorrow, all around us. And Lord, if I've got this backlog of junk that I haven't gotten done and all these concerns, I'm never going to be fully present. And so God, I just want you to speak to us as I read through some questions. And if there's something that I need to do, a habit I need to start, something I need to let go of, then Lord, would you speak to us now in the next couple of minutes? Oh, Heavenly Father, what God-given tasks have I been putting off? And why have I been doing that? Lord, will you search me? What can I get done if I spend 15 minutes today working on that, one, on just one of those tasks, just one thing today? Would you show me? What bills do I need to pay? What difficult conversations have I been putting off? To whom do I need to apologize? When will I get started? Am I refusing to do something that I know I need to do simply because someone insulted me? How long will I allow my wounded pride to stop me from doing what's right? What can I say no to today? What do I need to say yes to today? What meaningful routines do I need to establish? What distractions or bad habits are hindering me? Would you show me? Who pushes me? Who looks me in the eye and says, you can do better than that? Who would be willing to do this if I just ask them? What dreams have I put on hold? What circumstances have I allowed to keep me from even trying to chase them? What excuses have I been making for not getting things done? What fears have been holding me back 
And when will I surrender him to Jesus? Oh, Lord, I surrender him today. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. Lord, no excuses. We want you to do whatever you want through us. We want every blessing you have in store for us. We want every opportunity for us to grow. We want to experience that. Lord, just give us the courage to face the future unafraid. Give us the strength we need. And Father, bring people alongside us who can help us. We thank you for our church. And we thank you we could meet together today. This is important. Do business in my heart. Do business in my heart, Lord Jesus. I surrender it to you today. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.